0: of bingen once said the mystery of god hugs you in its all-encompassing arms welcome to the 87th episode of saint dimphina's playbook the sdp if you want to be cool a production of the grexley podcast network my name is tommy i'm a cradle catholic a marriage and family therapist a husband and father of five boys four on earth and one in heaven love you luke And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because I want every single person listening to know that God loves them as they are and is there with them, embracing them through all their suffering and darkness. We like to kick it off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dimfna's Mentions. (laughs) A new report has found mental health diagnosis disparities here in the U.S. Asian patients in particular were much less likely to receive a diagnosis for depression or anxiety compared to white patients, and experts say these trends highlight barriers to care for people of color. Very Well Mind has more an Athena Health analysis of patient visits to primary care providers, or PCPs, in 2020 found that although anxiety and depression are strikingly common in more than 24 million patients, the diagnosis of the conditions varied greatly between demographic groups. Many experts say this data points to underlying disparities in mental health care in the U.S. After all, a patient is diagnosed with a disorder when they feel comfortable or are able to express their mental health symptoms with their PCP. Overall, white patients, were more likely to discuss their mental health with PCPs and therefore receive a diagnosis if necessary than those of all other racial groups. The gap for Asian patients was particularly wide. They were 227% and 213% less likely to be diagnosed with anxiety or depression respectively than white people. It is so important for us to speak out about disparities in healthcare and especially mental health care, where so many are left wishing they could access care but not having the access to do so in a way that's culturally compatible. More from Very Well Mind on what we can do to address this systemic problem. When thinking about what needs to change to reduce disparities, remember that it starts with access. Every single person who needs access to care should get it, removing all barriers, including the lack of multicultural providers, costs, scheduling, and location. In an ideal world, the U.S. would achieve mental health equity, not just equality, by establishing a system where everyone would get what they specifically need in order to live a healthy and fulfilling life. This includes not just access to mental health care, but also to food, shelter, work, and other basic human needs that inevitably impact our mental health. Let's say a prayer for a more equitable mental health system where everyone receives the help they need to live a healthy and fulfilling life. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. So each episode I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to introduce you to Blessed Franz Jagerstatter. 1907 in Upper Austria, his parents were too poor to afford a marriage for themselves, so he had to be raised by his grandmother. Sadly, his father died in World War I, and after his mother married when Franz was 10, her new husband adopted him. Franz worked as a farmer and a miner until he inherited the family farm in 1933. That was the same year he had a daughter out of wedlock, and three years later, he met and married a deeply religious woman who drew him to the faith. He and his new wife, Franziska, went on a pilgrimage to Rome and received a papal blessing, and between that and the holiness of his wife, Franz began to more deeply explore the Bible and the lives of the saints, and the couple had three children. When German troops moved into Austria in 1938, Franz was the only person to vote against the situation, and he lamented the fact that so many Catholics in his town supported the Nazis. He wrote, I believe there could scarcely be a sadder hour for the true Christian faith, in our country. End quote. He remained openly anti Nazi as he joined the Third Order of St. Francis in 1941. He was later conscripted into the German army but was sent home to the farm after refusing to take the Hitler oath. He spoke with his local bishop after returning and was dismayed to find that the bishop was too afraid to confront the situation. He was eventually called up to active duty in the army, but he maintained his position against the Nazis and was immediately arrested and placed into custody. He was sentenced to death and executed by guillotine at the age of 36. He was given the chance to take the Hitler oath and save his life before being killed, and he declined. His last words were, I am completely bound in inner union with the Lord. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer. Blessed Franz Jagerstatter, pray for us that we will hold firm to our faith and uphold the teachings of the Catholic Church. Amen. And now, you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Anonymous gets us started. I have a question about what to do when a parent or family member reacts badly to you asserting a boundary. I don't regret the boundary, but I feel very angry and hurt, and I'm not sure how to move on. Well, let's start by praying together for Anonymous and everyone facing the difficult challenge of having to set and maintain boundaries with people who don't respect them. For strength, peace, and understanding from those family members. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. First off, I want to say how amazing it is that you were able to set these boundaries in the first place. Setting boundaries can be so hard, especially with family members, and the fact that you got to the point of being able to set some really shows how strong you are, and I just wanted to acknowledge that. Unfortunately, those people who we need to set boundaries for in order to maintain our own mental health are the exact people who are going to have a hard time respecting boundaries or understanding why we have to set them, and their reaction, often anger or manipulation, can lead us to questioning ourselves, and that really doesn't feel good. Psychology Today has some thoughts that I think are worth sharing here. The first thing you need to learn is that the person who is angry at you for setting boundaries is the one with the problem. Maintaining your boundaries is good for other people. It will help them learn what their families of origin did not teach them, to respect other people. Do not let anger be a cue for you to do something. People without boundaries respond automatically to the anger of others. They rescue, seek approval, or get angry themselves. There is great power in inactivity. Do not let an out-of-control person be the cue for you to change your course. Just allow him or her to be angry and decide for yourself what you need to do. Back to me. There are a couple of really important points there. First, that setting and maintaining boundaries isn't just good for us, but also for the person we're setting boundaries with. They have missed learning something about how to interact with people in a healthy manner. And by setting boundaries with them, we're actually helping them to learn how to be healthier in relation to others. Next, don't let anger force you into doing something. I know that anger can make us feel uncomfortable and that we can feel compelled to do something or anything to relieve the stress of the situation. But typically, we've thought long and hard about the need to set boundaries, and we have to work hard again to not throw all of that away just because the person we're setting boundaries with got angry and. Response. The website boundariesbooks.com has a couple of other thoughts. First, make sure you have support systems in place. If you're going to set some limits with a person who has controlled you with anger, talk to the people in your support system first and make a plan. Know what you will say, anticipate what the angry person will say, and plan your reaction. You might even want to role play the situation with your group, and then make sure your support group will be available to you right after the confrontation. Perhaps some members of your support group can go with you, but certainly you will need them afterward. Next, be prepared to use physical distance and other limits that enforce consequences. Consider responses like, I will not allow myself to be yelled at, I will go into the other room until you decide you can talk about this without attacking me. When you can do that, I will talk to you. If you keep your boundaries, those who are angry at you will have to learn self-control for the first time instead of other control, which has been destructive to them anyway. When they no longer have control over you, they will find a different way to relate. But as long as they can control you with their anger, they will not change. Sometimes the hard truth is that they won't talk to you anymore or they will leave the relationship if they can no longer control you. This is a true risk but we have to let people choose their own ways and let them go. It's a lot to think about and a lot to go through, but know that we will be praying for you. A different Anonymous is up next. What are your thoughts on intensive outpatient programs for anxiety? Do they work? How do they work? Who could benefit? Well, first, let's join in prayer for Anonymous and all of us who are experiencing excessive anxiety for relief, healing, and a support system around us that helps us when we're suffering. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Let's start by taking a look at what an intensive outpatient program for anxiety might be like with help from anxietytreatmentexperts.org. The intensive outpatient treatment program is for individuals with moderate to severe levels of anxiety whose needs have not been effectively met through weekly individual or group therapy sessions. It is also for individuals whose symptoms significantly disrupt daily activities such as work, school, and relationships which can result in isolation and depression. Clients work individually with a behavioral specialist so that each person's unique needs are addressed. An additional benefit to participation in these programs is that patients can see that they are not alone and interact with others who are experiencing similar symptoms and concerns. This is extremely rewarding for the individual struggling as oftentimes we hear statements such as, I feel like I was the only one who was going through this or I didn't think that anyone would understand. Length of treatment is generally four to six weeks. So back to me, I think intensive outpatient programs can be extremely beneficial to those uh, who have found that they don't respond to other less intensive anxiety treatments. Of course, entering into a program like this needs to be a joint decision between ourselves and the helping professional guiding us through the path to healing. We should remember that we are the expert on ourselves and we shouldn't ever feel forced to engage in a treatment pathway that doesn't seem like a good fit. At the same time, we shouldn't be scared away from treatments that sound intense if our helping professionals truly believe that it's what's best for us. A third and final anonymous brings us on home. I am sure I am not alone in marrying someone with an anxiety disorder and not having one myself. I have a hard time knowing, learning, finding resources on caring for my spouse in the height of a panic attack or anxiety stint. He is so good at caring for me when I have the stomach bug and it feels a lot less instinctual to figure out how to give him a similar degree of care in anxiety. Let's pray together for Anonymous, their spouse, and everyone wanting to care for a loved one with anxiety but not quite knowing how best to do it. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful." O mother of the word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. First off, I just want to say how beautiful it is that you have this desire to help your spouse and also a recognition of not knowing how to do it. Since you haven't experienced an anxiety disorder yourself, it really shows a deep love and a deep humility. And I think that says a lot about how your relationship is going to be a blessed one. Two things to start. First, help your spouse in the way that's best for them. Ask them what has helped them in the past when they've been facing anxiety. What healthy coping skills have brought them peace? Do they need you to simply sit with them as the anxiety goes on and eventually passes, just letting them know that everything will be okay? Or do they want you to help guide them toward their coping skills? Point out when they might need to take a break and find some peace. Their guidance here will be crucial. Next, consider a workbook that you can work through together. A way of working through the anxiety in a prescribed manner that can really help. And it's a lot cheaper than therapy. My favorite is the Anxiety and Worry Workbook, the Cognitive Behavioral Solution by David Clark and the amazing Aaron Beck. It's available on Amazon for like 12 bucks. It's powerful. It's a powerful tool for battling anxiety, learning coping skills, and it comes with worksheets and exercises you would get in therapy. So, totally worth it. Last, here are some thoughts from a recent NPR article that I think gives us a lot of good ideas for helping each other uh, and how to work together toward wellness first, start by addressing symptoms. Because an anxiety disorder can be consuming, it can be best to start by uh, talking with your partner about the ways anxiety affects daily life, like sleeplessness. Don't minimize feelings is next. Even if the perspective of the other person absolutely makes no sense to you logically, you should validate it. Try to understand your partner's fears and worries. Or at least acknowledge that those fears and worries are real to your partner before addressing why such things might be irrational. Anxiety doesn't have an easy solution, but helping someone starts with compassion. Next, help your partner seek treatment and participate when you can. If your partner is overwhelmed by anxiety, encourage your partner to seek therapy. You can even suggest names of therapists or offices that you know about. It can also be helpful to do some research on whatever form of anxiety your partner might be living with. Many times, people with anxiety feel as if they're misunderstood. If the partner takes the time to research even just a little bit, that can go a long way. Next, encourage, don't push. When your partner suffers from debilitating anxiety and you don't, your partner's behavior can be frustrating, but you should never patronize or diminish your partner's fears. Comments such as, why can't you do this? What's your problem? Will probably be ineffective. Instead, try to encourage your partner to overcome the anxiety. Channel your encouragement in a positive direction. Think of the example of someone with an intense fear of flying. Start off by saying, I really understand how scared you are of flying. It makes sense that you'd be scared you can't get off the plane if you have a panic attack you're afraid you might embarrass yourself or it feels like you're out of control when there's turbulence work to see things from their perspective Next up, cultivate a life outside of your partner's anxiety. To maintain your own mental health, it's important to cultivate habits and relationships that are for you alone, such as a regular exercise regimen or weekly hangouts with friends. Have your own support network like a best friend or a therapist or both for uh, when your partner's anxiety overwhelms you partners definitely need support of their own, whether that means their own therapeutic relationship or just friends, family, and other interests and activities that set them apart from the world of anxiety they might be living in. And last, help your partner to remember that the goal is to manage anxiety, not get rid of it. A lot of people with anxiety disorders understandably view anxiety as the enemy, but actually it's not. The real enemy is avoidance. Anxiety causes people to avoid things like applying to schools, flying to a cousin's wedding, things that can lead to an enriched life. And then that causes depression. It can also reduce the number of life experiences you and your partner share. You can have an anxious life But if you do things, you're doing that job interview, you're saying yes to that social invitation, you're getting in that car and driving to the ocean, even though you don't want to drive 10 miles, you're doing those things still. You might need medication or therapy, but you're still living life. So hang in there and know that we're praying for you both. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in a future episode. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash to see all the great things they've got going on over there and support the cause. You can also head over to Ave Maria's website or Amazon to pre-order the St. Dymphna's Playbook book that's due out in November. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry, I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.